And we talked about Luke 23, verse, 30, er, verse 43, which is truly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. Isn't that such a beautiful notion that this, this thief, this rebel who was on the cross next to Jesus, who, who committed his life, who, who, uh, who committed uh, this, this brave final act of faithfulness, of, of belief and of trust in the goodness and the righteousness of Jesus. And then last week we talked about, woman, behold your son, son, behold your mother, where we talked about relationships and, and, and the, uh, these earthly bodies, this matter that we're given and how, how they matter and how, how Jesus wants us to look out for, oops, I'm going to do that again, so I'm just going to move this back. Um, Jesus wants us to look out for one another, uh, that we're called to this, this beloved community. And this week, we get to what I, I think might be uh, one of the most difficult passage, passages in all of Scripture. Um, Mike uh, was customized, was, was very insistent this morning that he did not assign this to me. That I actually chose it. <laughs> uh, so if this goes terribly, it's all on me. Um, this is this is actually the only uh, this, this is the only one of these last words of Jesus uh, that comes from either Mark or Matthew, and it's also the only one that shows up in two different books. And both both Matthew and Mark record Jesus saying just before he breathes his last, "My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you forsaken me?" This is, this is such a, a strange passage to find in Scripture. You know, there, there are some people who kind of argue uh, maybe that, that uh, parts of, of Scripture were kind of made up by the early Christians to make them look good. This, it, this does not make them look good. This makes their faith look crazy because you have this person who we're claiming is God incarnate crying out to God the Father saying, why have you forsaken me? So it must be pretty important. It shows up twice. So how do we get here? Well, Jesus had been rejected and abandoned before. Jesus was familiar with this. And in fact, if we look at the, the narrative of Mark, we can see all of these cases where Jesus shows up in a town. He shows up in his hometown early on in the ministry of, of Jesus in, in Mark. Jesus shows up in Nazareth. This is, this is the place where he was raised, where his uh, parents probably still lived, where he apprenticed for his dad as a carpenter. Uh, where uh, he, he goes into the temple, uh, or sorry, into the synagogues there, and he starts to preach, and they hear this, they're like, oh, this is great, this is great. What do you have for us? Because we're special, we're, we're like your people, so give us, some, give us some special treatment. And he said, prophets are always rejected in their hometowns. And guess what? He was rejected in his hometown. They actually tried to throw him out of the church. That's another story. They didn't succeed. Uh, when uh, Jesus came, even with, with miracles of healing, he came to uh, the shores of, of Gethsemane, this, uh, this uh, Gentile city uh, outside of Judea. And uh, he finds this, uh, this man who's possessed with a demon. Uh, and he drives out the demon from the man, he, or this legion of demons, these, these many uh, demons that possessed this man, gave this man back his sound mind. And the man gave thanks, and the people drove Jesus out. They rejected him. Peter, 
one of his closest disciples. This is Peter was one of the one of the inner circle, the three apostles who were who were most close with Jesus. He took these three aside uh, for all these different conversations, for for prayer. They had they had this special place at his side. And Peter, one of those disciples, uh, outside of the place where Jesus was being sentenced to die, was recognized as one of one of his disciples. Somebody said, you, hey, you're with, you're with that guy. And Peter said, no. And then, no, 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 you're with that guy. And Peter said, no. And you're definitely with Jesus. And Peter said, no. He denied Jesus three times. Judas, of course, one of Jesus' 12 chosen hand-picked apostles, handed Jesus over to the authorities to be tried for, for blasphemy and for, for treason. But we don't, in, until this moment that we're talking about today, we don't actually see a lot of Jesus uh, reacting uh, to these things, these rejections, as if they're unexpected. Jesus knew that his fallen followers were going to fail. He knew that that was going to happen, that, this, that, that, they were, that they were only human. And we see that in the Gospels. So we, we actually, a lot of times, you might hear uh, in, uh, we call it uh, the Mel Gibson gospel, uh, about how Jesus uh, went through such physical agony in this time leading up to the cross and, and on the cross. And that's true. Uh, it, is, it is true. But there were people who had worse. Uh, and uh, the gospel narratives, in fact, don't really even tell us anything about Jesus' agony. They tell us what happened to him. But all throughout, Jesus, when he's being tried, when he's at, Pilate asks him, are you the king of the Jews? He just says, you have said that it is so. You know, these, these calm, Jesus-y, right? These Jesus-y answers where he gives these, like, answers to questions. He's, he's normal Jesus all the way through because he's, he's, he's like, unflappable. Rejection just doesn't, doesn't get him, uh, get to him. Um, and then comes the moment in Mark says, when it was noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. Three hours of darkness in the middle of the day. And this actually calls back to a passage in, in Amos, um, where Amos chapter, uh, chapter 8 talks about on that day says the lord god i will make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight so pastor mike had talked about how jesus uh in his these last words in his last moments in this this pathway to the cross uh he was uh constantly fulfilling all of these old testament prophecies uh and this is one of them but i'm going to read this whole passage uh for you this is uh amos chapter 8 verses 1 through 11 and uh, I, hope you're, I hope you're ready because you'll see. It's, it's, my, it's the prophets. They're, yeah, they're tough sometimes. All right. Amos chapter 8 says this. This is what the Lord God showed me, a basket of summer fruit. He said, Amos, what do you see? And I said, a basket of summer fruit. Then the Lord said to me, the end, by the way, in Hebrew, end is the same as the word end. Got it. Uh, the Lord said to me, the end has come upon my people Israel. I will never again pass them by. 
The songs of the temple shall become wailing in that day, says the Lord God. The dead bodies shall be many, cast out from every place. Be silent. Hear this, you that trample on the needy and bring to ruin the poor of the land, saying, When will the new moon be over so that we may sell grain and the Sabbath so that we may offer wheat for sale? We will make the ephah small and the shekel great and practice deceit with false balances, buying the poor for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals and selling the seedling of the wheat. The Lord has sworn by the pride of Jacob, surely I will never forget any of their deeds. Shall not the land, the land itself, tremble on this account and everyone mourn who lives in it and all of it rise like the Nile and be tossed about and sink again like the Nile of Egypt. On that day, says the Lord God, I will make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight. I will turn your feasts into mourning and all your songs into lamentation. I will bring sackcloth on all loins and baldness on every head. I will make it like the morning for an only son and the end of it like a bitter day. The time is surely coming, says the Lord God, when I will send a famine on the land. Not a famine of bread or a thirst for water, but of hearing the word of the Lord. This moment of the crucifixion is this moment that we talk about a lot. It's the moment of God's judgment on Israel, the moment that should be their destruction, the moment the prophets spoke of when the people of God should be annihilated by famine and thirst and war and chaos, when they should be separated from the presence of God that had dwelt in the temple all this time, that they would no longer hear his voice for three hours from noon till three in the afternoon. The people of Israel sat in darkness and awaited their end. And then Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi! Eloi, lema sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? We know abandonment. It sticks with us. Even when it's over, even when it's small, it can be hard to forget. So most of us don't remember much that happened in our first four or five years of life, but we might have just a few strangely vivid memories from that time. Psychologists call these self-defining memories, memories that shaped us in ways that affect us still today. And I distinctly remember the very first time that I was home without my parents. I can, I can picture the view through the front storm window. You've got the, the, bug, great, the bug screen there. My sister and I are, are pressed up against it, waiting for our mom to come home from the grocery store. And I'm sure I was all excited before that, like, oh, yeah, I'm a you know, big kid, and you know, I can be left all on my own. But, man, when she was gone, felt it. <laughs> She's probably only gone 10 minutes. But separation from someone you love, someone you depend on, cuts to the core anxiety of the human condition. And who do we depend on more than God? Forget 
fire and brimstone, separation from our creator and sustainer, from love itself, because God is love, that is the worst kind of abandonment imaginable, even for us. And for Jesus, who was in very nature God, who for all eternity had lived in a divine dance of perfect harmony, perfect oneness with the Father, sharing all things, living in community. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Samuel Wells, a theologian, writes, this is the most vivid picture of hell we can imagine. Just, not just our being separated from God, but God being separated from God. For the sake of our being with the Father, Jesus has for this moment lost his own being with the Father. And the Father has longed so much to be with us that he has for this moment lost his being with the Son, which is the essence of his being. So the Trinity, this is a confusing doctrine. It's complicated. It's a mystery. Uh, it's, it's difficult. Um, but something that we get from the Trinity that we can say, that we can affirm, is that God embodies community in God's very being. And in that moment, that community in the ground of all creation broke apart. And this is how Jesus saves, not by some command from far away. He doesn't just sit up in heaven and say, all right, it's all, it's all good. Don't worry about it. He doesn't, uh, doesn't just sit up there and judge either. He takes upon himself all of the separation, all of the distance from the Father that humanity has accumulated. He comes all the way, all the way to where we are, and then he goes even further. And, and sometimes we talk about the, the cross in terms of wrath, right? God's wrath. Um, this, this is the, the language that I grew up with. Like the wrath of God was, was satisfied. And, and it's right to talk about God's wrath in a sense, because God's wrath is very real against evil, against the powers of death and of sin. But we, we can fall into this trap where we talk as if we have some like righteous but somehow violently abusive divine father who really just wants to hit somebody and Jesus jumps in the way and takes the beating. Uh, we get an angry father and a merciful son. But talking about the atonement in that way, talking about the work of the cross, misses the key point that Jesus and the father are one. Jesus and God are one. This was not... God wanting to punish somebody and Jesus deciding to do something else. This was God the Father and God the Son deciding together that they would endure separation from each other. That they would each endure abandonment for the sake of those that they had created. The pain of the Father, this doesn't get talked about much, but the pain of the Father at separation from his Son is, is also a part of this. It's not just the Son who identifies with our suffering. It's the Father as well. So we, we serve a God who knows what it is to be separated from his beloved. We serve a God who knows what it is to be abandoned. 
So why did Jesus die? And most of all, why was he forsaken? Because Jesus came as fully God and fully human to be our representative, to pick up the baton that the people of God had dropped and carry it forward in God's plan to set the world right. So God has called a people, God called a people, told them to be lights in the world, told them that he would save the world through them, and that people fell away and fell away and fell away. And God did not give up on that plan. God sent his only son to become fully human and to fulfill that plan in our place. Jesus chased us as far as we could run, even to the depths of hell. Ephesians 4.10 and Peter, 1 Peter 1.19 tell us that in that time between Jesus' death and his resurrection, he went to those who were furthest from the presence of God and preached the good news of the resurrection. It says he preached, he proclaimed to the spirits in prison. That is how far Jesus is willing to chase us. That is how much he loves. That is how far he will go to be with us. That he didn't just break with the Father in this one moment. That was three days. That's how far he will go to be with us and to bring us back into community with himself and with the Father. When Jesus cried, uh, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was also quoting a, a famous psalm. Uh, this is Psalm 22, and I, I think Psalm 22 can help us to think about what it means for Jesus to have taken on that forsakenness. Because Psalm 40, 22 begins with abandonment, but it ends in hope. It starts like this, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but find no rest. And sometimes that's our prayers, right? Sometimes all we can pray is, I don't understand. I don't understand. I don't understand. And God hears that. God accepts that as a good sacrifice to him, as an offering of prayer. But Psalm 22 doesn't end there. It ends like this. It says, from the horns of the wild oxen, you, my Lord, have answered me. I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters. I will praise you in the very center of the congregation. All of you who revere the Lord, praise him. All of you who are Jacob's descendants, honor him. All of you who are Israel's offspring, stand in awe of him. Because he didn't despise or detest the suffering of the one who suffers. He didn't hide his face from me. He didn't forsake me. He didn't abandon me. No, he listened when I cried out to him for help. Let's take some time in prayer to pray for those who are suffering, for those who are abandoned by the world, because God does not despise or detest the suffering and, and that could be a prayer for somebody in this church it could be for a friend or a family member it could be for for yourself uh, it could be for the people of, of Puerto Rico 
been six months now since Hurricane Maria was killed on the island of Palau. It could be for any of the, the millions of children and parents that were, were awaiting with as much patience as they can muster to find out that they were engaged in a disaster and that Rafa had died from be for the poor, for the lowly, and despised, for the homeless, and the incarcerated, because God does not hide his face from them, even when we have sinned. God listens to the abandoned and the afflicted and to cry out for help. So let's pray. I'll close us with a corporate prayer together. You can speak your prayers out loud if you'd like. You can say them silently.